Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining with us here for this Lenten series that we are taking a look at called Course Correction, really examining our lives for where are some areas that we need to have a course correction, where we need to make some changes, where we need to make some shifts. And I know that Lent, it can be a challenging season, but it's actually really needed and necessary because when we go through these challenging portions, it's actually when we can be changed so that we might live and love and look more like Jesus. And so as we've been saying throughout the series, we've really been exploring then Jesus's critiques of the Pharisees, the most highly religious people of his day and age. And for many of us here actually at Bethany, we actually would fit under that category that we are actually quite religious. We come to church, we pray, we try to do the right things. And so when we are looking at Jesus's critique of the Pharisees, our perspective has been not just what is Jesus saying to them, but what is he saying to us? What is he saying to us? And what do we need to change and to shift? Because here's what we believe here at Bethany. We believe that we are called to change the world starting right here in Niagara, but we cannot join Jesus in changing the world unless he has first changed our hearts. And that's really what all of today is going to be about. It's going to be about our hearts. It's going to be about experiencing change and transformation. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I think that this really matters for you. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus and just seeking to understand who he is, we're so glad that you're joining with us here today as well. And here's why I think today will matter for you, because you'll learn what really is all about following Jesus, what's at the heart of following Jesus. And so today we want to pick up right where we left off last week, continuing on in this series on the seven woes of Jesus. And we're going to read this starting in Matthew 23, verses 25 to 26. So Jesus says this. He says, what sorrow or woe to you? What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? He says that every time, right? This has been kind of building throughout this series. He says this, hypocrites. Hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are all filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. He says, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean too. Okay? Now, this is just true. Sometimes when you come to a Bible passage and you read it, your first reaction might just be like, what is going on here? Like, what is happening? Like, what is this about? Because what Jesus seems to be talking about here, he seems to be entering into a debate about how to wash dishes, right? Which seems both utterly ridiculous and utterly relatable at the same point. Because if, if you have ever had, I don't know, like a spouse or roommate, kids in your home, whatever else, invariably there is always fights about the dishes because somebody always does them wrong, right? And you, you know who you are, those people who do them incorrectly, okay? So here Jesus is entering into a discussion about the dishes, but it's really so much deeper than the fights we might have over dishes or the fights that Chris and I consistently have because she believes that letting dishes soak for an extremely long period of time is somehow doing the dishes. This is, this is not true, okay? So what I want to explore then is what is Jesus saying here? What is this all about? Because I do want to be clear that this is not just about cups and washing the dishes. Instead, what Jesus is really getting into with this one statement, okay, what he's getting into is he's actually challenging the Pharisees' psychology, their theology, and also um, their politics. Okay? This is what Jesus is getting into. He's actually entering into a debate over psychology, politics, and theology. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. I want to set the context for this passage to understand a little bit more about politics, purity, and theology. And so when we start to talk about this, I hope one of those three things, psychology, politics, or theology, might kind of uh, engage with you. And so let's take a look. I want to begin talking about psychology, then we'll talk about politics, and then we're going to talk about theology to understand what this fight about the dishes is really about, because it's not just about dishes. And so to begin with psychology, what I want to state first, it's going to sound weird, but it's true, okay, is that we are wired as human beings, like biologically, we are like wired for purity, 
I want to say what I mean by this, okay? that we are wired for purity. When I say that we are wired for purity, I do not mean that we all act in holy ways. Clearly that is untrue, right? No, when I say that we are wired for purity, what I mean is that we have this baseline kind of almost primal urge to classify things as pure and impure, as clean and unclean, as sanitary and as something as like disgusting or gross that we have within us what is kind of called a disgust mechanism, that we just have strong reactions to certain things, classifying them as gross, as wrong, as unclean, as whatever, and that this happens almost pre-thinking to us. This is why, this is why if you ever see like an untouched donut in the trash, you don't eat it because your initial reaction is that that donut is tainted. There's a disgust mechanism towards it. Unless of course you're like George Costanza in the TV show Seinfeld, then you eat it, right? And if you haven't seen that, please just, that's your challenge for this week, go watch Seinfeld, okay? okay? No, but this is what actually though does happen to us. We have this almost innate, actually, aversion to certain things. And this is really what Jesus is getting at here when he's talking about uh, the cups, that there's actually this idea of cleanliness that he's gonna challenge. And I think this is important for us to realize that this idea of cleanliness or of classifying some things as pure and impure, that this cuts across everything. It doesn't matter whether you are modern and Western or ancient, we all have this within us. So Jonathan Haidt is an amazing psychologist, and what he studies actually is some of the moral language we use when it comes to discussions in our day and age. And he's identified five primary moral languages. And when it comes to conservatives, that those in the conservative camp tend to emphasize three of the five languages, really emphasizing the language of purity, of tradition, and of authority. So conservatives then often talk about things being pure or consecrated or sacred. Liberal people tend to use the language of actual fairness and care. But recently, and I bring all this up, because recently in traditionally liberal circles, I've also started to see the use of a lot of purity language as well. That when um, in these spaces somebody might disagree with something, they might call someone or something gross. That this is actually purity language. That's what it is or to use a more updated actual example rather than Seinfeld. In the TV show from CBC, Schitt's Creek, uh, Alexis often goes to David, she often says, ew, David, right? That's purity language. That's classifying some things as clean and unclean. And this is really driving the discussion with Jesus here with the cups. Because what the Pharisees did in their day and age, along with everyone else, is they classified not only certain things, but spaces and places as clean and unclean. And what Jesus is going to do here in his discussions, he's going to challenge the Pharisees' psychology over what is clean and what isn't. He's going to actually seek to challenge them to reclassify things. That what makes something clean isn't what's on the outside, but what's on the inside. So Jesus here in his critique with the Pharisees saying, woe to you. He's really challenging some of the psychology around purity. That's what's happening. That's one of the layers of this. The next layer we want to talk about is politics. We talked about psychology, now we want to talk about politics and how it influences this aspect here. And I know, I know as soon as we start to talk about politics, people can think that it can get divisive because it does and it can. And I think one of the reasons that politics often actually is so divisive is that often at the heart of politics really is actually dividing people up into categories, into groups so that you can debate, so that you can other, so you can say whether you're for or against things that politics really is about dividing up into different groups and categories and all of that. And that this has been happening not just you know, in our day and age, this has been happening for eons. And that often then when it comes to politics in your group that you might associate with, you develop what are called boundary markers. 
And boundary markers are these signs, symbols, or signals that you can show that show that you are part of this group rather than that group. Okay? And this happens all the time. We see it on social media. We see it all around us. This is why sometimes smaller things can become huge things because really what they are, really what they are is they're a boundary marker for which group you're a part of. This is why even in the past two years of COVID, some things have been highly contested because they become symbols of which group you're a part of, right? And so this happens not only in our day and age, it also happens in Jesus' day and age. And in Jesus' day and age, the Pharisees were actually fighting for the religious kind of soul of the people. There were other groups that were also seen uh, to try to lead the Jewish people forward. There are groups like the Sadducees or the Essenes. So the Pharisees, though, the Pharisees, though, wanted there to be their group that is actually the one that leads people forward. They thought their group was the right group. And so what they had then, like many of our groups today too, what they had was symbols and signals that you are in their group. And one of the ways that they would symbolize whether you're in their group was how you would wash a cup, actually, was how you would actually go about this process of washing a cup or a dish. This would symbolize a signal to people whether you followed the Pharisees. So when Jesus starts challenging the Pharisees' way of washing the cups, it's not just about purity, it's also about politics and identification with their group. And you might think to yourself, you might think to yourself, actually washing a dish seems a little bit of a silly way to symbolize which group you're a part of. But imagine if the Pharisees were brought forward into our day and age. Imagine how they might feel about how we symbolize which groups we're a part of all the time by which groups we post on social media or whatever else that we are constantly doing this. And so were they back in that day and age as well. And so Jesus, in this woe to the Pharisees, is gonna challenge then their psychology and also their politics. And then lastly, what he's gonna challenge, we wanna talk about last, is their theology. So when Jesus comes to them and he says, woe to you over the cups, what he's talking about here is not just about cups, not just about psychology and purity, and not just about politics. That for the Pharisees, they thought that their way of following God was the right way and their hope their hope wasn't just to follow all the right rules. They weren't just legalists. Their hope was actually that through following the right rules, through them being faithful, through them being honoring of God, that then God would move, that then things would change, that then there would be like renewal in the land. So for them, they tried to follow every single law and rule possible to the utmost degree because that's what they thought was required of them that if they did all of this, that then God might be faithful and to move in their midst. If they were honoring of what they were called to do, they might see God move in Israel. That's their hope. So when they wash the dishes in this very specific way, it is not only about their psychology and politics, it's actually a symbol and a testament of their faithfulness, that they believe that this is the way to be faithful to God. And again, that might seem strange to us in a modern Western world, uh, thinking about cups as a way of being faithful to God. But for the Pharisees, that's what it's about. And that's actually what Jesus is going to challenge. He's going to challenge and say, actually, that you aren't faithful and that this doesn't matter as much as you think. So to kind of recap where we're at so far, if all of this has been a lot for you this morning, it's just kind of been whoosh, here's what's happening. Jesus, in this one statement, he is challenging he is challenging the Pharisees' core of their theology, their politics, and their psychology. He's challenging all of this in this one very loaded and culturally specific kind of statements. He's challenging all of it. So now that we understand that he's not just talking about cups, he's actually challenging their psychology, their purity, their holiness, their faithfulness, their politics and group identity. Now that we understand this, let's go back into the text and let's read it again, and let's try to then work through what Jesus is saying a bit more specifically. 
So we read this. This is Jesus speaking. What sorrow, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean as well. And now that you know the context, now that you know how challenging this is, when people would have heard this for the first time, their jaws would have dropped. People would have been like shocked. There would have been like a mic drop moment if they had mics like back then, okay? This would have just shocked everybody because Jesus with this one kind of statement, he is cutting to the heart of things and he is calling out the Pharisees. He says, you think you can organize people into clean and unclean? You're wrong. He says, you think that you can organize people into faithful and unfaithful, your theology? Like, you're wrong. You think you can organize people into the right groups and the wrong groups? You're wrong. He is challenging all of that. He is going directly at the Pharisees' kind of core of their theology, of their holiness and purity, and of their politics and group identity. Jesus here is really saying in this one statement that the main religious role models of the day, kind of the religious elite, the Pharisees, that their politics, their purity, and their faithfulness is all wrong and in need of a course correction. That's what he's doing. That's what he's challenging. That's what he's pushing against. He is saying that their politics, their purity, and their faithfulness is all wrong and that they all need a course correction. And what Jesus gets at then, he points out the reason that all of that other stuff is faulty. He points out the reason for it. And he says that the real problem, the real problem is that inside the Pharisees, in their hearts, in their hearts, they are full of filth, sin, grime, dirt, all of that. Listen to what he says. He says, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. That the reason, that the reason that the Pharisees need really a course correction, and the reason the Pharisees need a course correction is because their hearts remain unchanged. They do all this outside work, but they aren't actually changing their hearts. But inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. So it's as if Jesus shows up and he says, who cares who cares how you wash a cup, talking about your purity and your holiness, when inside you have sin? Who cares if you're part of the right group, your politics, when inside you have a heart that's remained unchanged? Who cares? Who cares if you have all the right theology, if you have all that stuff together, but really on the inside you are self-indulgent? That's what Jesus is getting at. He is challenging the core of the Pharisees, saying that their heart is off and faulty and wrong, and because of that, because of that, all these other signs and symbols of purity, of psychology, of politics, of theology, none of this really matters when your heart remains unchanged. That's what's going on here. That what the Pharisees were doing, and which we do all the time too, is that we often look on the outside of people, right? But what Jesus is pointing out here really clearly is that God examines the heart. God examines the heart. God examines the heart of people. That's what's going on. And we often like to... I don't know, I think skip this part, thinking that if our theology is right, we're good. If we belong to the right groups, we're good. If we actually are holy, we're good. But Jesus wants to challenge us and say what really matters though is what is in our hearts. What's lurking there? What's hiding there? Is there sin? Is there um, grime? Is there dirt? Is there self-indulgence and greed and all sorts of junk within our hearts? Jesus wants to turn the attention inward, not just outward and ask what's in your heart, what's in mine, and that's what he's pointing out to the Pharisees. 
Jesus is essentially saying, what good is it debating the boundaries of holiness and purity and faithfulness when you miss the fact that your inner life is full of sin, junk, hate, greed, and grime? That's what he's talking about. And you can imagine then, you can imagine then how offensive this is to the Pharisees and to the people who heard it, how shocked they might have been because Jesus really is turning everything around. And then what does this mean for us here today? Because I do think that this isn't just something that was meant for us to examine in the past, but actually for us to think through, what does this mean for us here today? So to bring this into the future and into today, you can imagine then Jesus calling us out, calling us out for some of the ways we organize based on purity, on politics, or on theology, and how he might challenge some of it. So use more modern day examples. Jesus might say something similar to this to some of us. He might say, like, what good is it? What good is it if all your liberal friends love you and you do all the right outside actions of voting in the right way, supporting the right causes, and always using the right political language? Like, what good is it if you talk a lot about care and inclusion and fairness, but inside, but inside you are dismissive and judgmental and hold malice to people that you actually disagree with? Jesus would say, look inward. Or you might turn to some people and say, who cares if you are conservative and all your conservative friends agree with you and you do all the right outside actions of attending church, of actually reading your Bible and standing up for you know, our rights and freedoms. And you talk a lot about loyalty and sanctity and tradition, but inside, inside your heart, there's self-righteousness. There is arrogance and a lack and a willingness to actually sacrifice for those that you disagree with. See, Jesus, what he wants to do is he wants to take all the groups that we identify ourselves with and he actually then wants to turn the image inward and to say, but what's in your heart? Who cares about the outward actions? What is in your heart? That's what he wants to really focus in on. So he would want to say, like, who cares if you think Trudeau needs to go or Ford needs to go or whoever you think currently is ruining the world, whether it's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or like the Toronto Maple Leafs or whatever it might be for you. He wants to say, but what's in your heart? Is there anger? Is there greed? Is there self-indulgence? And I could go on and on and on giving examples of how this works for our modern day world. But in the end, I just end up probably offending everyone, which I actually think is Jesus's point with this. Because what Jesus wants to point out for the fact is, is that for all of our outward actions, for all of our supposed holiness and purity, right theology and the right politics and all of that, what he wants to point out to the fact is, is that the problem, follow with me, the problem is not out there with someone else. The problem is in here within our own hearts, that we need a heart change and transformation. That's what Jesus is getting at. That's what he wants to speak to us about today. To not be focusing in on other people's politics, on other people's holiness and purity and psychology, on other people's, you know, faithfulness, doctrine or theology, but what is in our hearts. Listen again to what he says. He says, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus wants to turn the focus inward, inward, inward and to ask us, what is hiding in our hearts? What is within our hearts? Because I don't know about you, but I would not dare to say that I have a pure and holy heart, that my heart does not have any grime, filth, any uh, sin, junk, or evil within it. I know, I know deep down that the same uh, critiques that Jesus is leveling against the Pharisees, he could also turn towards me. And to say, Andrew, but your heart isn't pure. Your heart isn't there. So yes, what good is it if you focus on the right groups, theology, and purity, when inside your heart remains unchanged? 
This is the challenge of the passage, that each and every heart needs to be transformed and changed. Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn once famously said, you might have heard this quote before, he once famously said, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and to destroy them. But he says this, and I think this is very true. He says, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. He says the line shifts inside of us. It oscillates with the years. And even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even with the best of hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. He writes, since then, I've come to understand the truth of religions of the world. They struggle with the evil inside a human being, inside every human being. And I think that's true, and I think that's close to what Jesus is saying here. What he wants to get at the fact is that so often our focus is on other people when he wants to point the attention inward and say, but what's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? This is what matters. And this, I think, is what the real challenge of this woe is. So what does this mean for us today? Well, here's my main point today out of Jesus' teaching, where he says, woe to you, you Pharisees, where you wash the outside of the cup, but you miss the inside. I think the main point for us today is just this, that all of us, every single one of us, we all need a heart transformation. That's the main point for us today, that we all need a heart transformation. We all need to be transformed by Jesus. This is what he is getting at with the Pharisees, that for all of their purity and holiness, that for all of their theology and all of their politics and the group identity that they have, for all of those things, their hearts remain unchanged. And that's what needs to happen. And that's what needs to happen. Every single person needs a heart transformation. So does this mean for us personally here today? Well, I think the real question isn't how did the Pharisees miss the point? The real question is, how might we be? What is in our hearts that Jesus might actually want to call out? What is in our hearts that Jesus might want to change? What is it within our hearts that we need to actually have a cleansing with? That as the psalmist prays, where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. I think that, that is the prayer that we need to be praying this week. This is how this relates to us. So today, I wanna to challenge you to do a few things. Okay? The first is, I wanna challenge you to pray a bold prayer Okay? and to invite Jesus to say, what needs to be changed in my heart? What needs to be changed in my heart? What needs to be changed in my heart? I want to invite you to pray that prayer. I want to invite you to actually take a time to be with Jesus and to let him reveal to you if there are areas of sin within your heart, areas of, I don't know, pride, greed, self-indulgent, malice, which is where you actually take enjoyment out of somebody else's failure, whatever it might be. All of us, all of us, I really do believe, need a heart transformation. None of us have a pure heart that is fully holy, that we don't have anything that Jesus wants to change, free, or forgive. So I want to invite you to ask that question. Jesus, what needs to change in my heart? And then I want to invite you, I want to invite you to the next step, really. The next step really is simple. Once you actually know what is in your heart that needs to be changed, the next step is really simple. You just need to confess that to Jesus. You need to confess it to Jesus. That's the next step. And he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, of all sin, of all grime, of all things that are unclean within our hearts. We just need to actually name it and confess it to Jesus. You see, the problem, the problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they had sin in their heart. That wasn't the problem with the Pharisees, actually. The problem was that they had sin that they didn't acknowledge and name and confess. That's the problem. 
Because what we know unequivocally clear from the Gospels is that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that Jesus is faithful. He will actually cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He will forgive us if we just confess to him. But what Jesus can't do, what he can't do is to actually cleanse us when we are holding on to our sin, refusing to acknowledge it, refusing to repent from it, and refusing to even name it. This is the problem of the Pharisees, is that they actually believe that they don't have sin, and so then they remain actually unable to be free from it. So I want to invite you to name your sin with Jesus, to confess it to him. And then I also want to invite you to take a next step, to take a next step, to maybe even confess it to someone else as well. And this can be hard. It can be hard to actually reveal some of the things that are in your heart that are junk and not good there. This past week, I was sitting with Kristen, as I share with you often, I will never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do personally. And so I started to share with her some of the things Jesus was revealing to me. And I got to tell you, some of the things that Jesus revealed to me in my heart that were lurking in there were not good things. Like at one point, at one point I was praying with this about him and I realized, and I realized that for some of the people who have hurt and wronged me or what I feel hurt and wronged by them, that my hope for them, and this is wrong, but it was also in my heart. My hope for them is that they would like fail publicly and that I would be vindicated, right? That they might be humiliated so I would feel better, that I was hoping something bad or that they might just even suffer the consequences of their own choices, right? That I was actually having that lurking in my heart. And that might be shocking for you to realize that I have some stuff in my heart that is untrue and unhealthy and, un and not good. But you wanna know what's worse than having it in your heart? You wanna know what's worse than that? What's worse is for it to be in your heart and for it to remain hidden and unacknowledged. Because the truth is, is if we confess it, if we can name it, if we can share it, we can actually be freed from it, but not while it lurks, not while it hides. And that was the problem with the Pharisees. They were sure that their politics made them good. They were sure that their purity and holiness made them good. They were sure that their theology made them good. And they never looked inward to see in their heart that the fact was there was greed, self-indulgence, and sin. So today, today, I want to invite you. I want to invite you to do a hard but a freeing thing. A hard but a freeing thing. I want to invite you to name some of the areas where you might have some sin in your heart and to experience Jesus' cleansing and forgiveness. So what's my main point today? My main point is just that we all need a heart transformation. And then what's my challenge? My challenge is to listen to Jesus, to confess to Jesus, and to receive cleansing from Jesus. Because that's what Lent is all about. It's about us making some course corrections, and this is the way that we can do it. Because Jesus is true, that he will forgive us, he will cleanse us, but we do need to go to him. So would you listen to him? Would you confess to him and then receive cleansing from him? And so to help us to do this today, we're actually going to do three simple things to actually practice this right here and right now. The first is, I'm going to read Psalm 51, and I'm going to invite you to read portions along with me um, with it. Psalm 51 is really, it's a prayer of confession. That's what it is. That's where that prayer, creating me a clean heart, O God, comes from. So we're going to pray this as a prayer of confession. Then we're going to give you some time and some space just to actually think with Jesus and to pray with Jesus and to ask him, are there areas in your heart that need to be transformed? And then lastly, we're going to take communion together because communion is a space where we receive cleansing from Jesus, where we receive forgiveness, where we receive welcome and inclusion, which we all desperately need. But most of all at communion, what we receive is a heart transformation because that's what this passage is about. That's what Christianity is about. And that's what we all need. So with that, would you join with me in prayer before we then read Psalm 51 together, take time for uh, confession, and then take communion together as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray, might we hear from you? 
might we hear your words to us? If there are areas of sin and grime and dirt within our hearts, might we be able to actually name them? Might your spirit give us both discernment and also courage to just confess them to you? God, might we know that you truly are faithful and just, that you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us, that you are in the business actually of freeing us from that which holds us back. But God, might we have the courage to name it to you so that we might receive your grace, so that we might be filled with your grace and your freedom, and so that we might follow you. And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. So now, I want to invite you to read portions of Psalm 51 with me. I'm going to read it. It's going to come up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you to read your portions as we go, as a way for us to pray and confess together, really just coming to the recognition that all of us need a heart transplant. So Psalm 51. We read this and we pray this. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight and you will be proved right in what you say for your judgment against me is just. For yes, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again, for you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. For you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. So we now want to give you just a few moments to spend with Jesus, to ask him and to pray that prayer, Jesus, what would be changed in my heart? And to maybe even pray some of those words of Psalm 51 to him. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I'm going to give you a few moments to actually be contemplating, connecting, and confessing with Jesus.